Oh, what's up, MK fans? Luke Thomas here. How are you doing on this 28th day of February 2022 for episode 14 of Extra Credit? This is where we get to the fights that we didn't get to on regular MK. I do a show with Brian Campbell. We get to usually the larger set of topics. This is where we get to some of the finer details that you guys might want us to discuss, but we just sometimes don't have time for. Okay. On the docket today, we have a focus on the UFC card. We really didn't get to a ton of UFC content on today's show, although we did do, I did do a post fight show. So there was some content. But here you go. Here are the fights that we're going to focus on from UFC Vegas 49. Of course, this took place on Saturday at the Apex in Las Vegas. We're going to focus in on Armin Saryukian taking on uh, Joel Alvarez. We'll talk about the Armin Petrosian versus, and I, I, I thought it'd be Rodriguez, but I guess it's Rodriguez fight, Gregory Rodriguez. A really action-packed, phenomenal contest. How about Ignacio uh, Bahamondes out of uh, Chile? D incredible job against, I think it's Rongju. And then Terrence McKinney doing phenomenal work against Ferez uh, Ziam. And then Ramiz Brahima taking on I guess it's still pronounced Michael. Forgive me for the pronunciation today. Uh, Gilmore. Those are the fights we'll focus on. There was a lot of online chatter about the Priscilla Cachuera fight, but I just don't want to spend a ton of... I, I'd rather focus on these fights. If you if that was of interest to you, I understand that. I, I, I get why. But there's, for me, other topics that matter. Okay, so let's kick things off here. First things first, thumbs up on the video. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe. And if you're listening on podcast platforms, give us a nice review there as well. Always appreciated when you do. Let's begin. First things first, Armin Saryukian. Um, this is where we'll start. He, of course, defeats Joel Alvarez at 157 of the second round. I talked about this on the post-fight show. If you saw this, some of this may sound familiar, but the basic idea here was there was some concern about well, first of all, Joel Alvarez needs to be understood as a very, very good prospect. You didn't get a lot of evidence of that on Saturday, but I would really caution you to not close the door on him just yet. We still need to see. There's still lots that is unknown about him, but he has shown flash flashes of very capable striking. He is rangy. He is lanky. He, he tends to use it um, more often than not pretty well. So understanding that, you had to assess what would be the threats to a blue chip prospect like Armin Saryukian. It would be he was taller. Uh, it would be that the knees could be a problem because uh, Joel Alvarez has really good uh, use of knees and in a lot of different contexts, defensive wrestling or otherwise. And um, you know how would he close the distance? How, how would he solve the problems to get to the wrestling? Because you, you figured once he got there, it would Joel Alvarez would have to show another gear of and level of defensive wrestling he has not shown yet. And we know that the wrestling of Soryukin has been good since the moment of his UFC debut, giving Makachev. I'm not saying all that he could handle, but a handful. And then, of course, what would he be able to do on the ground? You would imagine he would have to turn up the ground a pound because what was the larger knock on Armin Saryukian? It was that he was obviously a phenomenal athlete, great wrestler. Some of his other pieces of his game need to come together, but he was a, he, had, he had a bit of an issue finishing. So, so this fight is a kind of an important fight for a couple of reasons. Yes, he got another finish over a, in this case, a, a, um, another unranked but very good prospect. But he did it in a very specific manner. Last time he got a finish on the feet. This time he got a finish on the ground. I don't know if he had exactly intended it 100% that way. But what he did do was he didn't just kind of defensively wrestle guys through scramble positions for 15 minutes. He put it on a guy. He put him on his back. He held him there. And then he sliced him open like, you know, I mean, you guys saw the evidence of that. 
So here we are saying he could get he didn't have to strike with the guy on the feet who he, I think he recognized was better than him. Although in the previous fight, Soryukian did strike his way to a finish. He recognized he would have to stick to his strengths, but he has now added a layer of ground and pound beyond what we had already established was phenomenal positional control. <laughs> he's going to be tough to beat. He's going to be tough to beat. If they matchmake him the right way, he's going to be tough to beat when it's all said and done. He is young, I think just 25 years old. You see the athleticism. You already see the wrestling skill. You see the fight IQ, patiently thinking his way, solving his uh, problem solving his way through the various challenges that he encounters, and now adding a dimension of brutality, frankly, behind it, of real uh, punching with intent. Striking with intent, serious bodily harm is what he's. I mean, he is out there trying to put it, put it on people, um, but not overly so. Right, We're working within the confines of what makes the most sense given the given the relevant fighting context. Anyway, I'm rambling, but you get the idea here. He he is doing exactly what he needed to in this fight to show exactly the kind of a development that he you, you would you would hope from a prospect to level up to. That does not mean he is in any way complete. I actually would say. He's still pretty green in a lot of different ways. Um, so I think the matchmaking by UFC would still need to be careful, and I'm sure they see that as well. But it's all, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is you had a lot of intrigue before, and now with these last two fights, you got an exciting finish as a fan from an entertainment standpoint. But you saw um, not just growth, but growth in exactly the ways you would hope, right? Like what were some best-case scenarios for growth? These are pretty close to you know, I don't know, best case scenario is outright, but something like that. So that was phenomenal. This dude is, is already quite good, could already beat very good fighters, and is going to be a problem. He is going to be a problem very soon. So good luck with the people that got to fight him because you're going to need it. Uh, okay, we now move to a fight that was very controversial because of the decision, but I got to say was just excellent. How about Armin Petrosian taking on, I'm going to just say it how the commentator said it, Gregory Rodriguez, split decision. That's what kind of marred it for people. There was one judge that had it 29-28 for Petrosian. There was another judge that had it 28-29 for Rodriguez. And then there was a third judge that had it 30-27. And I got to tell you, uh, even given my Armenian ancestry, I think that's a little too generous. I kind of, I rewatched it today just to be sure for the podcast. I sort of get it. I sort of get it. You could give him the benefit of the doubt based on activity in the first round, right? Second round, I guess, was closer, but I, I could see how he, I mean, you're squinting at that point, how he edged it out. Because um, I, I thought, I, I, I overall thought Rod Rodriguez did the better work, but the volume really kept him in it. It really kept it kept Petrosian in it. That, that was the thing that kept him alive. And he, but there, I don't see how you could give it to him for the third, where he gets uh, basically rocked and then his back taken, has to fight out of it for quite some time. Now I will give Petrosian credit, dude. How about that last two minutes and especially the last minute of that third round? Boy, he was pressing on the gas. That was heroic because that was a that was a tough fight to begin with, competitive but tough. He, he looked worse for the wear, although that's not the full story every time. But he definitely was wearing it. I mean, he had a whole face mask of blood when he was really trying to press Rodriguez back at the end of that third. But that was commendable, man. He was putting it on him a little bit there um, at the end. And, uh, and so I, I really commend the effort. But it's hard for me to see how you can give all three. I, I understand that there was that heroic last push from Petrosian in the third, but that's 
that's just that's just too much for me. But I can understand the scorecard for the, maybe the first two. Anyway, um, what a fight! What a phenomenal fight! I got to tell you, this was exciting as hell. Baffled me. I really appreciate how long Rodriguez waited to patiently take his time with a stand up, effectively counter strike, effectively box, do a lot of checking, a lot of parrying, a lot of blocking. Um, but but when he got on the ground, dude, it was he was it was so effortless for him. I was like, I appreciated how much effort he has put into his craft striking. Um, but I guess what I would say is the overall posture, while patient and calm, produced so many benefits. Maybe one of the costs of that style was that it just didn't have enough offensive urgency because you were a little bit at the mercy of the volume of Petrosian. But on the ground, he looked phenomenal. That knee bar he tried at the end. They, he, uh, this been called it a Sulu of stretch. I always thought a Sulu. I could be wrong about this. I'm just I'm guessing here. I, I always thought a Sulu of stretch was like a cupping of the behind the heel versus a knee bar where it's almost wrapped with the, the full arm. But anyway, it was sort of set up in a similar manner. And the fact that Petrosian was able to get out of it was just absurd i mean this was a back and forth dog fight uh between these two rodriguez had this style on the feet that was kind of interesting right a little yoel romero ish ish where there's a lot of time spent being let's just be defensive on purpose but like defensive with a little bit of intent where you know you're checking kicks right you're not just like you know getting out of the way of them you're actively checking them and staying right in his face pressuring him with footwork you know you know fainting the whole thing like putting him on alert but but absorbing a little bit and then when it's your time to go you really make sure you put a lot behind it sometimes in volume sometimes with power like finding the right one strike that they're open that you've seen he was doing that very effectively for long stretches of this fight um qu quite commendable i just think it put him offensively on the back foot in terms of what he could dish out uh because he was kind of at the mercy to to, to an extent uh, at the even though he was landing and and rocking Petrosian at times he was a bit of at the mercy of his tempo at, at what he would produce and uh, dude I'll say this for Petrosian pumping the jab really great getting after the leg kicks even though there was extensive checking going back to them late he didn't quite forget about them although there were stretches of the fight where it got away from him but dude this was a commendable effort for, I mean you, you really have to be uh, quite excited about the effort you got from both of these um both of these guys, a lot to work on for both, maybe for Rodriguez and turning up the intensity a little bit sooner when, when it's needed, you know, sort of recalculating that uh, a little bit, but the skills are all there. And for Petrosian, took a little bit of damage on this one. There might be a little bit of style adjustments in terms of um, working on uh, eliciting a reaction first before going. You know, again, I'm not his coach. This is just things I'm thinking of out loud. The, the, those decisions will be made by people who, uh, who, who are in a position to make them. I'm just sort of thinking about things that, could be incorporated to, to what he's already doing quite well. Um, but, man, he's got a ton of uh, gas. He's got a ton of heart. Um, a ton of gas. I'm going to get killed on Bojoshino Depot for that. But he's got a ton of uh, a, a huge gas tank. Excuse me. And um, and I think just cleaning up some of the defensive things, he, he's going to be a, a handful as well. Great fight, man. For a middleweight, people complain about the middleweight division, and this one has, you know, um, no fight is perfect. It has its own critis uh, criticisms you can make of it, but it was pretty good affair. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Now we move to the preliminary portion of the card. This is a catchweight fight that was at 160. Uh, Ignacio Bahamondes taking on, and I hope I'm saying this right. I'm I'm sure I'm not. Wrong Zhu uh, defeats it with a Bravo choke, right? So instead of uh, like an anaconda, instead of starting behind the neck and then ending with the arms and the lock behind the arm, they start behind the arm and then the lock ends behind the neck and head okay you get the idea uh Bahamondes is just a treat to watch what, what a fighter this this guy is uh he is a delight 
he, he does so many things you just have to love. First of all, he, activity is there. Cardio is there. Um, I don't think he's you know perfected it yet, but he definitely makes a clear effort at fighting long, using his range, um, really sticking with the jab, front kicks. You know, we, we always criticize the long, lanky guys for not doing that. He makes a real good effort at it. Um, you know, no one's perfect, of course. So it can be perfected, but he, he certainly is, is is putting in solid work there. And, you know, has so many different gears to go to, so many stances, so many looks, throws a diversity of strikes, but not just for diversity's sake, uh, throws it for, you know, as a, a, to the extent that it is useful and then uses the things that works and goes back to it. Like, there's a lot you got to like. And I had said on the post-fight show that he takes a lot of damage, which generally is still true. It is still true that he takes more damage than he should. In fact, from a statistical standpoint, as I had articulated previously, uh, I'll, I'll give you this number here because it is valuable. Um, Ignacio Bahamondes's strikes absorb per minute. Now it's gone down. It was in the high uh, five pluses, but now stands at 5.03 because in his last contest, he actually did a much better job of limiting the damage. So from a full context standpoint, that has been something that has been a bit of an issue that I have flagged. Again, you know, you see most high-level fighters strikes absorbed somewhere in the mid-twos, mid-threes, sometimes mid-four range, but that's at the usually at the very upper end of it. To be above five is high. It's high. So, you know, he's still young, has plenty of time to work on it, but that was one thing I would want to see. And the good news is it came down in this fight because, dude, he really put it on him. This was just – he. Uh, Rongju had some courage. Um, there were times he was able to mount some offense and really push Bahamondes on the back foot. And I think obviously he's a bit of a when you know he's dealing it's a lot with forward pressure. So that that was a thing he had to handle, but he did. And um, I, I think this was a performance where he was really able to round one of sort of the first corners that you would want to see a prospect round. Like guys um, are going to learn offense a lot. I've said this before, and I, I think this holds true. Again, there's going to be differences everywhere, but in general, I think a lot of people learn about, uh, particularly well, often jujitsu too. They learn offense a little bit before they learn proper defense. Defense usually trails a little bit, and that can happen a long time. So his offense is dealing; it's it's quite capable. In fact, strikes landed per minute. So, like I'm giving you the story about what he absorbed. Strikes landed per minute. How about this, folks? Eight point three three. I mean, he's dealing. He's dealing. <laughs> there's no, make no mistake about it. Takedown defense ninety five percent. Strike defense, 58% because he's just trading a lot. So, by you know, per percentage-wise, it's that's actually not super – it just needs to be higher given his style. I'll put it that way. Given his style, that's not sufficiently high as evidenced by the fact that five is landed per minute is still his going average. Okay, but here's what was so interesting about this fight. Again, Bahamondes just really had him constantly trying to close in, constantly trying to close in, and he was just – making him reset with jabs, front kicks, you name it. It was a lot more than that. It was effective circling for the most part, effective movement. Um, the interesting part was the finish. So he goes for a power guillotine, right? That's the, uh, there's many names for it. I call it a power guillotine. It's basically a guillotine with a rear naked uh, choke grip, right? Like this, right? No arm in. So it's just, that's why it would be, it wouldn't be an arm in choke. It would be a, um, it would be a power guillotine. And then sits, his opponent bails, to the inside, uh, belly up to defend it, and he holds on to it. But then he begins to turn counter, he begins to turn clockwise. As he turns clockwise, his arm actually, the choking arm actually, well, what would you consider the choking arm, comes actually on top of the throat 
of Zhu, and then he puts his body weight on top of it. Now, I had noticed this on Twitter last night, and I so I tweeted about it. It's not, it's not this choke, but it works mechanically in a similar way to a gi choke that is called the bread cutter. The bread cutter would be uh, typically where, if I can remember this correctly, come under the arm if you're in side control and grab the gi with your collar on this hand, and then with this hand you would. There's a, mechanism, a few mechanisms to get there, but you would have the other grip cross collar and then you would bring your own forearm down on top of their throat and your body weight on top of it and then pressing into it like you really put a you put a gangster lean into it um true story ryan hall one time i actually asked him to help me on my this is like 10 years ago or something a long long time ago i actually asked him to help me with mine and he showed me a couple of tricks about setting up the grip especially for the for the for the pressing forearm and i hadn't and to this day, I have never had someone that size put that kind of pressure. I it was, it was I, shocking, is to put it mildly. I could not believe how much pressure was behind that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, anyway, it's a savage choke and there are no gi varieties. Someone put me, uh, someone hit me to it on social media, but it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it, it works best. Let's put it that way. I think it's fair to say maybe as a gi choke, um, you just, you know, you don't see them in MMA because we don't use geese. It, it mechanically functioned Bahamondes is choke almost the same way. It's not exactly the same. Obviously there's, there's some big, big differences. It's still, I guess, technically more of a guillotine, but that mechanical function, of the the arm on top and then pressing your forearm weight uh, your body weight in a in a concerted way right into it you're that being what's what's finishing that choke is the jamming of the forearm into the throat through the body weight which comes all the way from the toes and everything else that looked that looked like like almost like an upside down bread cutter anyway just a really weird and interesting finish go see for yourself maybe you have a better name for it i don't even know what to call it i'm just saying it mechanically functioned in that way so for Bahamondes, on the right track is what I would say. On the right track. He's young, got a lot going for him. Uh, this was a great performance, and he should be quite proud of it, and I can't wait to see what's next. Let's just keep that train of, of uh, defensive development um, w- with what he's already doing is what I would say at this point. Okay, we go to the next fight on the card. How about at lightweight, Terrence McKinney? This was, whew, man, defeating, uh, I hope I'm saying this one right, Farez Ziam. Uh, via rear naked choke, two eleven of round number one, dude. What? What about this? This was. They closed distance on each other, and through an accident of uh, them throwing strikes at roughly the same time, and how everything landed and it worked all it worked out. It caused this like crazy scramble where almost McKinney ends up on his back, but he continues through situational awareness that seemed almost instinctual. He. Uh, scrambles through and ends up on top and then proceeds to just take it to him. I mean, it was over from there, basically. He just had to work through the the problems to play to play the chess to get to where he had to go. But that was it. That was it was done. Um what a job. Basically constantly passes um and did so with phenomenal uh, risk control, including on both sides. That forced Ziam to um 
well, he it was in half guard. He tries to hit a scramble. Then McKinney captures the wrist on both two hands on on the same side, I think, and was able to nearly take the back from it. So that's right. So Zion rolls to mount. And then from there is pressured still back to his back. And this was the thing that I thought was the most incredible. Look at the finish. What he ends up doing is something quite interesting, and it was purposeful, and he actually tweeted me about it, so I think I'm on the right track. He's, he seemed to indicate I was correct. Um, he uh, puts his – he has to post on the left hand and then capture with the right to hold um, his opponent's head, uh, Ziam's head, so he doesn't lose his balance. But then he passes right to left, and when he does that, he puts his left arm in front of Ziam. Now, why would he do that? This is all intentional. Ziam does what anyone would do in that situation. He captures the wrist immediately, right? So left hand to left hand, he captures it. Then what you notice is you see McKinney kind of look through and then dig his hand underneath, uh, waiting to post it, but doesn't do it right away. What he actually does is put the hand even further along, waiting. I think he baited him, and he actually baits a two-on-one. Well, why would you bait a two-on-one? Like, you know, that's the safest position you can be in. Well, if a two-on-one is still on the opposite side, you know, there's still something of a choking threat there, right? I mean, if they break your grip, which is hard to break, but I'm just saying... It's not like it's on the other side where there's no choke possible there, although I suppose they could wrap the head behind. You know what I'm trying to say. But the the, the bigger point here I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to make is that Ziam's thinking he's got like the perfect position possible. I'm 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 okay here. But there's a little window where they're not the position is not exactly established where you can act fast. And so what he ends up doing is at like the instant that Ziam goes for two on one, he exposes his own wrist. So there's McKinney waiting on his own right side, immediately grabs the wrist, pries the hands apart. So he just essentially all in one swoop holds the throat while pulling the other hand behind him and then sags him to that direction, obviously through the weight of the arm. I mean, it was just this incredible handoff. It works immediately. The hand snakes through anyway, and he gets the choke, right? So you showed, you thought, Zion thought he was getting the safest position possible but it was just a bait to get wrist control, break posture, slide the choke on through anyway, because he acted in the narrowest of windows. That's one of those things you couldn't do if like the position was established and you're trying to go spot to spot to spot. There's a little window there where you gotta you gotta make that, you gotta pass that baton, you gotta make that handoff. And he did it perfectly. Perfectly. Unbelievable job. I, dude, how about all these young guys on this on this card, man? Just getting it done. There's a lot of youth in MMA doing really, really, really good things. All these guys I've, I've mentioned, Saryukin, Petrosian, Bahamondes, and now McKinney. Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, Petrosian's age, but you, in general, the point stands. Incredible stuff. Um, so then we move to, I think, the last fight um, for today's conversation. And again, these names are going to trip me up. So if I mispronounce them, I, I swear it is not intentional. Ramiz Brahima defeating, I'm going to pronounce it, Michael Gilmore. I hope that is correct, via rear naked choke 202. Boy, this was one-way traffic. Uh, I'm going to say Ramiz in, in the hopes that I'm saying that correctly. Um, just a hammer. Just a hammer, this guy. You can tell he looks to be in you know phenomenal physical condition. He was able to close the distance. He got under a punch with a absolutely dynamite level change. It, I, I, it could just be my imagination. I feel like Maybe there's no evidence of this, or maybe there is. It just feels like the level changes in MMA have gotten way better in terms of like just just way more athleticism behind them. Maybe it's maybe that's just a function of there being better athletes over time. I'd have to think this through or just look at the tape more closely. But this dude's level change was like lightning. Whew, not just getting down quickly, but then getting into position, timing it perfectly. He got to his hips before Gilmore had a had a chance, and then from there. 
Uh, Gilmore was actually, you know, forced to turn. He takes the back. There's a hand fight. He survives the first one. And then he goes right back to it and hand fights the opposite direction and gets it. Um, this was, uh, this was, I think, the performance that this guy's been waiting for. I don't think he's had exactly the UFC run to date that he had imagined for himself. Um, not that it's been poor or anything, but, you know, up to expectations or something. Uh, but it's been good. And this is a great job by him. This was, you know, everything he needed to do. I mean, th- you know, you beat someone. You beat someone in a UFC fight within three minutes, you know, and not because you like ended a with a knockout punch at the three minute mark or, you know, some kind of accident just all of a sudden stops the clock there. But I mean, you had to methodically work your way, dude. That is very quickly working your way. Like what? Like how fast should it look? That's that's fast. That's fast. Like you you blew through that guy, uh, and you know I, I am in no way suggesting that you know the opponent is not quality. Far from it. But. Um, that was just the level of performance that he had in, in this in that night, and he was on, and it showed. And of course, he is obviously well skilled and well trained, and, and the whole nine yards. So, um, great jobs by them. There were other interesting fights on the card. We talked obviously on the post fight show about the co-main event with Terman and Serkinov. Just great job timing the armbar. You know, just great awareness. Um, and there were some other good fights on this card, but these were the ones that mattered the most to me. The thing that I would want the folks to take home is I just believe that you've got the, the youth. There is just a, there, if you have high expect, if you're curious about what comes next in terms of youth development in MMA, there is a lot of reason for excitement across many different weight classes, across many different parts of the world. So, uh, a great time to be a fan. Yeah. And, and the last thing is on these fight nights, I used to be the guy who would poo poo these the most, but it was at a time I felt like there was a couple times in the 2010s where there was some stagnation in the technical development in the game and then they would have these bursts of inspiration over time um i just feel like everything is moving so fast with technical development these days and you see a lot of redeeming things watching cards like this and seeing you know guys in their mid-20s um from the united states from russia from chile i mean on a single night turning in performances like that that's pretty or, or armenia however he is properly labeled um uh, it's it's nice to see it's fun there there is merit to those fight nights if you know you have that kind of fandom and if you don't it's cool and we're not judging you for it but for the folks who like that kind of thing if you if you care about these kinds of things when you watch mma you you, you get a lot out of fight nights even ones like these although this was obviously had some ones that had some gems on it but you know there's a lot that are not necessarily okay thank you guys so much for watching uh, let me know what your fights uh that you liked were Leave a comment below, excuse me. You can see there where our relevant social media channels. You can give me and LBC a follow if you want. Uh, Morning Combat is right there. Of course, we'll be back on Wednesday live at 11 a.m. in the East. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the email for the show. And I'll be back next week for a post. Uh, We're going to have a big one for next week after UFC 272. So that should be a lot of fun. Stick around for that. And until next time, thanks, y'all. Enjoy the fights.